Thank you for tuning in to this edition of Kingsway Podcast from Pastor Sean. You are about to hear a message from a recent Sunday service. We consider it a privilege to be on a spiritual journey with you. So take a few moments with us and allow God to inspire you today. The question on the table today is, are you in a spiritual battle? Do you even know if you're in a spiritual battle? Is it possible you're in a spiritual battle right now, Jimmy, and don't know it? In fact, we as Americans, we're hardy people. We deal with all sorts of things on the news and TV and are like, what? That's real life? That just happened? They just said that? They just did that? So and so this? That's the world I live in? Oh, I guess that's the new normal today. Fill in the blank. I mean, it's not a week that goes by, a new ad isn't coming out about something that people are outraged about, which is a new normal. We live in a new normal every day. And I'm not talking about the world, politics, economy, government, social buzz, none of that. I'm talking about your walk with your life. Are you conducting life today in a way that you believe that what you're struggling with, what you're suffering from, what you're dealing with, your unanswered prayers is just a fact. It's your new normal. I want you to consider that today because God has bigger plans for you and for me. And I believe that I personally, as the pastor of Kingsway Christian Center, I know that's a, that, that means something. It means something to the Lord. It means something to this conference. To my family, it means very little other than that I'm dad and I speak on Sunday. And as the pastor of Kingsway Christian Center, I have misidentified some spiritual battles that I've been going through in 2019. And now that I have come to the conclusion that they were in fact spiritual, I have seen revelation. I want you to experience revelation this morning. There are too many of us that are sick, entirely too many of us. Sick, I mean all the time. There are too many of us that rotate being sick. Every week it's somebody else is sick. And a lot of times, we don't know why. We just talked with Miss Debbie last week and all that she went through. Pat and Sue and what they're going through. Jack and what he's going through. And those are just the public ones, the ones that don't mind me sharing. And then there's the rest of us that are going through something. And you know it. You can feel it. Some of you, I can see it on your face and eyes. And others do a very good job covering it up. But the reality is 2019 has been a struggle for most of us individually. For reasons that you hold. And today, I want you to reevaluate your life, your situation right now. And consider if you've misidentified what you're dealing with as just the circumstances, as just life. In fact, it was a pre-planned, well-executed attack from the enemy that still roams this planet. The enemy, the Bible says, looks a little like this. It says that we need to watch out for our great enemy, the devil, who prowls Prowls, that's a word that means he is seeking out your destruction. He is prowling to devour you. That's what it says. He seeks to devour you, looking for someone to devour. Who wants to sign up for that? Huh? See if you're paying attention. No one's raising their hand. Yeah, devour me this morning. No. You see, this verse, among plenty of others, substantiates 
that we are in a constant state of spiritual warfare. God wants to walk with us, and so does the enemy. Do you know the enemy meets with God to talk about you and your plans? You know, Bill talked about it. He maybe shook you, some of you up, and say, the devil's not in, in hell yet. The devil, you know, is still in heaven. The devil has access to heaven today, plenty of it. There will come a time in tribulation where he will not have that access, but today he meets with God, and he has a conversation about you and about me and how he's going to attack us, and he lays it out. God gives him permission. That doesn't mean God makes you sick. I can't get into that sermon. I'm going on. Spiritual warfare. Let me say it like this. Psalms 23. We sang it three times this morning. You may not have known it. It was in every one of the songs we sang, but effectively, it says that God sets up a table for you in the presence of the enemy. It doesn't mean he's going to isolate you from the enemy, protect you from the enemy, move you and insulate you from the enemy, immunize you from the enemy. No, in fact, you are going to be engaged with the enemy. How will you be engaged? Well, I'm talking about spiritual warfare. We'll talk about that in a second. But let me just jump to the end. The end is there's a feast. He wants you at a table feasting in the presence of the enemy. He wants you feasting, relaxing, enjoying your meal, seeing the enemy and literally laughing at him not being defeated by him. That's what our God is saying. He is saying to the enemy, Brian, yeah, yeah, test, test Brian out. He'll laugh at you at the feast I prepare for him. Amen. Sean, you're talking crazy. Just make me feel good this morning and let's go about our day. Really? Ephesians chapter 6, we fight not against flesh and blood, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and evil spirits in heavenly places. That's the King James Version. I mean, that's the New Living Translation. I use it a lot, but I, I love the King James. I just know it's in my spirit. We fight not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against dark rulers, and against spiritual wickedness in high places. What I'm telling you today is you are under the influence, bar none. I don't care how holy you are. I don't care what the title in front of your name is, pastor, bishop, prophet, apostle, disciple. You are under attack by the enemy. It's not your spouse. It's not your child. It's not the government. It's not your employer. It's not a legal entity. It is the enemy who you are under influence. The question is, well, let's ask the question differently. If it's warfare that we're talking about, here's a picture of warfare. This is what it looks like when a group of military people get together to, to create a mission to take out the enemy, and the enemy's goal is to prevent the mission from happening. They don't want the enemy. The enemy does not want the mission to complete. The enemy's goal is to stop you from your assignment. Each one of you today are on assignment. There are two groups. Those of you who know what assignment you're on and are on it, actively ministering, and those who are supposed to be on your assignment. The enemy has a plan to stop both of you. Is he being successful? That's my introduction. That's all the time my wife would give me to introduce. She said, you need to move on, son. You got a lot to say. So now we're at 1 Kings chapter 19. We've read it now twice, and I've asked you guys to read it before you came today. Has anybody done that? We got a couple hands. Okay, okay. I feel like I'm doing a little bit of leading here. 
We got a couple hands raised. I'm not going to read through it all today. You've heard it. You've heard the story. And you understand what's at stake here. Elijah, Elijah was sent a message from Jezebel that she was going to kill him. And she was the queen, so she had a lot of authority and a lot of um, resources to go after him. He intends to kill Elijah. And so what proceeds from 19 to 14 are very clear in 14 verses with one of the most famous prophets of the Old Testament, a manifesto in a spiritual battle. It walks us through exactly what a spiritual battle looks like. And thankfully for Elijah, he fails like each and every time so we can see the whole gamut of it. At the end, some great things happen, but that's chapter 20 and 21. You got to read that. But in 19, we see him being human. Not the great prophet, not the miracle worker, not the one that literally hears the voice of God and knows what to do. We see the human Elijah. And he suffers from eight attacks, eight symptoms, eight signs. He failed to recognize any of them. Today, I hope you and I, now that we have the word and we can study it, because we're not in the moment right now, we're sitting down right here in these pews, we can learn it, we can study it, and hopefully it will move us, amen? Okay, so the first one I've already covered off of, the first one, of a, the first sign, symptom of a spiritual attack is the threat itself. Every credible military action starts with a credible threat. That is why we move forward with action. We feel threatened. What is a threat? It's something that hasn't happened yet. Spiritual threat, what is that? It's something that we hear or we see and then we interpret something else that we're going to hear or going to see in the future. And we begin to think about it and then we start projecting things that haven't happened yet but we think they will and they're becoming more and more and more eminent. You realize all the enemy has is threats. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. But we, on the other hand, we take this attack and we start turning it negative. Oh, that email, that looks bad. I, I bet you I know what's going to happen. What I just saw on Facebook, oh no. What, 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 what my boss just said when he walked by me, I get it, you know, uh, uh, there's something wrong with my paycheck. There's something wrong with the way my children are acting. Again, nothing, nothing has happened yet, but we can see it. We know it's coming. And make no mistake, I need you to hear me loud and clear. Things that may happen, and you may say, Pastor Sean, you don't get it. Something's happened. This is real. I'm dealing with it. I have to deal with the situation. It's real. That's not a threat. Wrong. It's still a threat because you know what the ultimate goal of the enemy is? The battle isn't just for this one circumstance. The battle is for your soul. And ultimately, your ministry, your children, and your family. If you have your soul today, then you are still in the battle. And you know the same thing I know, that he's not going to quit. And everything else is a threat. Are you following me? Okay, you're following me. So now i got to move on. Oh, I promised as I was going to go through this that I was going to share with you ways to protect against each one. We're going to talk about spiritual battle afterwards, but I need you to understand the warfare we're in. Protect against threats is pretty easy. Stay alert, the Bible says. It says, be aware the threats are coming, and then stay positive. Know that God is walking with you in the same way that the enemy is prowling next to you. 
It's okay. It's okay. In fact, tell the enemy to have a seat because you're about to and you're going to feast in his presence. Amen? Okay, look, I get it. It doesn't always work. Sometimes the threats are really serious and we get scared and we move on to number two. Let's read it. Number two, the threat has happened in verse two. Jezebel sent a message. Verse three, Elijah was afraid. That's what happens. That's what happens. Negative. And he fled. Say fled. Say fled. He fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah. He left his servant there. He then went on alone, say alone, into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary, say solitary, bloom tree, and prayed that he might die. Number two, isolation. It is the oldest military art of war trick in the book. Divide and conquer. Separate power from weakness, take out weakness. Isolation is always what the enemy goes to. It's just tried and true, it always works. Threaten you enough to make you run away. Run away from what? Run away from the things of God. Usually church, I don't need to go this week. I don't need to go next week. Run away from the things of God. I don't need to read the Bible. I don't need to worship. I don't even want to do those things. I'm going to run. I don't want to pray. I'm scared. He's going to condemn me. I'm scared. He's going to tell me something in prayer. We just ultimately, emotionally, we want to be alone. We just want to be alone. You get threatened enough and you don't want to talk about it anymore. You don't want to talk to whoever. You just, you just want to get away. And the farther, the better. And so as Americans, as Christians here in America, we find all sorts of creative ways of getting alone. Traveling, going out at night, disappearing in the internet, games, whatever. The Bible, listen to this spiritual nugget. There is power generated from association. Association generates power. When Jesus Christ started his ministry after he's at the baptism and John the Baptist baptized him and the heavens open, after all that, what did he do? He went and he got tempted. He's now at a low point. What did he do? He then from isolation, he moves over and he starts generating power. Hey, Philip. Hey, Peter. Hey, so-and-so. Hey, so-and-so. Come join me. You all are doing your own thing. Once we have 12 together, we now have power. All through scripture, you see God bringing people together because that generates power. Are you following me? There are 12 disciples, not one. There are 12. They generate power. It's the opposite of isolation. The Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, it could not be more clear. So let me read it. It says, let us not neglect our meeting together. It's talking about the church. Let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people like to do. But encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. That's like a sermon, and it's written out in verse 25. How do you protect against isolation? It's simple. All of them are simple. They're just so hard to do. It's called forced gathering. That's what church is, by the way. Every Sunday, we meet. Unless it's icy or snowy, we meet. It's a forced gathering. It's an opportunity for you to come together, to force you to be together and worship. Women's study, men's group, 
Tuesday night, Friday, all the things we have, we try to force you guys. And you say, oh, it's not fun, it's not great. You're right, it may not be an awesome execution of that forced gathering every time. We're getting better, work with us. But the idea is you get together and it generates power. Poor man left him servant, went on alone, sat under a bloom tree, prayed that he might die. Now look what happens. The second part of verse 4. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. And then he laid down and went to sleep. This is the third in the progression of spiritual attack. There's a threat. You try everything, doesn't work. You decide to run away from the threat. As you're running away, this happens. Now, if there was one word, I'm trying to keep these all to one word. If there were one word, the word I would have wrote here, which is precise, is anorexia. Although when I hear anorexia, I think of the behavior, you know, starving yourself, you know, for you know, vanity reasons or mental health reasons. Um, that's something else. Anorexia nervosa, that's something else. Anorexia is just the condition of not having an appetite. So effectively, every time you get the flu, you get sick when you're sick and you don't want to eat, that's anorexia. That's, the, that's the, the medical description of losing your appetite. He lost his appetite. He walked for days. He didn't eat. He laid in a boom tree and wanted to die. The third military tactic, it's so obvious. We threaten you, we then divide and conquer you, and when we have you in a place, we cut off your supplies. No food sent in, no resources sent in. We're going to starve you out. And when you are sick under battle, you lose your appetite. For what? Food? Yes, sometimes. Spiritual battle can affect you physically. Absolutely. 100% yes. But not just physically. You lose your appetite for the things of God. You now have no more hunger to read the verses or listen to the podcasts or study the Bible. It's too complicated. You don't have enough time for that. You lose a taste. It, the taste has gone missing. You used to worship and be like, oh, you felt it. I just, I feel it. And now I don't, I, don't, I don't feel anything. Does that mean the worship is less effective when you don't feel anything? Since when was worship about us? But it matters when we don't feel anything. We're like, something's wrong with me. I'm singing the wrong song. Maybe I'm in the wrong church. Maybe the worship leader's in sin. We, we create all sorts of crazy excuses for our own spiritual attack. This is what I have learned about this one, because this one's happened to me more than I'd like to suggest. When you lose your appetite, you stop eating, you lose your hunger, you stop worshiping, you stop the word, you stop praying, you lose your strength, your power. It starts going away. And you start like, oh, I got, I got no power. I'd just rather die. Is your passion dwindling today? The things you were passionate about, the things when you came to Kingsway you were hoping for, the things when you were joining a ministry you were hoping for, you had a passion for, are you seeing that dwindle? How many things are you putting your finger on that it is when in fact it was the plan all along of Satan to cut off your supply? Then that leads me to number four, and I'm going through quickly because I've got to get to the end here. Number four is the same one, same exact verse. Number four, so he... He lost his hunger, 
And then he says, my life is no better than my ancestors. They've already died, and I want to die. You know what we call this? This is called, it's time to quit or surrender. These four steps are what most of us go through in ministry. We're threatened, and then we're isolated, we lose our passion, and then we call it, we're burnt out. I've experienced it. Some of you maybe have experienced it. We've tried everything. There is just no way to win. I feel fatigued. I feel exhausted. It's not just when you feel fatigued and exhausted. This is a spiritual attack. When you know that you've come spiritually to a place where you really do. You may not say it out loud, but you want to quit. You may not tell the leaders you're working with or the people you're working with or your family that, that you want to give up, but you know you do. Anybody can relate to this. It's okay. Don't be embarrassed. My victories in Jesus' name. My victories in Jesus' name. He does not want you to quit because he's already won. What kind of example would we be? Look, there is a way to transition out of ministry, absolutely. But that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about here is when we get to a place that we are defeated. We are not defeated, church. The Bible says, for me and my house... We will serve the Lord. The moment that we quit and give in to the enemy's plan is the moment we say we serve you, Satan. That's fine. You win. I do not accept that. I do not accept it in my ministry. I do not accept it in my family. And I will not accept that at church. No matter how many of you I see or don't see or what I can see or feel with my eyes. My victory is in Jesus' name. My wife has emailed if you do, everybody has a signature. My wife, I don't know where she got it from, but 15 years ago, she added this signature to her thing, and every time I see it, I'm reminded. In her signature, she says, the two most important days in your life are when you were born and when you find out why. Some of you, that second one may be when you give your life to Jesus Christ, or maybe sometime after when you as why you gave your life to Jesus Christ. And it wasn't just about eternity. One of the greatest mistakes we make of misidentifying spiritual battles is that we now have identified our purpose, our calling, and we're willing to turn our back on it. Do you know how many people I talk to who want to know what their calling and purpose is and just want me to prophesy over them or tell them what it is? And how many of you know that you know what God wants you to do? Don't ever think for a second that you should turn your back and tell Satan that you're willing to lay down and die. These are hard. I've been through these. Threats, isolation, hunger, surrender. How do we fight against surrender? You seek leadership. You seek leadership. If you are in a military action exercise and you are in a place of defeat where you're surrounded, you pick up the satellite phone and send in the armed forces, bomb them, blow them up, get us out of here, rescue us. You call in leadership. You call in backup. 
that's what we need to be doing. We have a leadership team here. We need to be pouring into you when you're at this place, and you need to be trusting us to help you with this place. What are we going to tell you? I don't want to tell you my whole life story, all my details, all my privacies. I don't want to tell you all that. Let me tell you what we're going to tell you. It may look like you're surrounded, but God has surrounded you. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by God. These four often happen, as with Elijah, and they happen with others. Oh, yeah, I forgot. The protect against loss of hunger is a daily routine. If you eat three meals a day, you don't get hungry. If you stay and eat and continually eat even small bites, you don't get hungry. So protecting against loss of hunger is keep a daily routine of reading your scripture and a daily routine of loving the Lord God with all your heart, soul, and mind. I need to continue. Those four are pretty commonplace. And all throughout scripture, you see those four happening over and over and over again. But when we fail at identifying spiritual attacks for those four, we move into the fifth one. What happens here? What says right in scripture? It says, then he went to sleep. Then he got up. He went a little farther. And he found a cave. And he went into it. You know what it's like in a spiritual walk when you find a cave and you decide to go into it? It gets really, really Depression, it's not something we like to talk about in church. We think it's weak, or we hear people talk about it as a weakness. Just go to counseling, just take these drugs, you'll be fine. Everyone suffers from depression, it's normal. I do not accept that. Depression does affect everyone. Prophets, apostles, disciples, pastors. As I shared with you last week, the mega church in California, the pastor, struggled, apparently was not able to identify, took his own life, a pastor of a mega church upon tens of thousands of people. None of us are immune. It is serious. We call depression ultimately in our society a mental illness, and there's some truth to that. There is a mental illness that we suffer from, a sickness. And that's what I'm talking about, being sick, being attacked from the enemy. But I will not accept that it's just a sickness that can be cured with a few words and a few pills. It is not the truth. But you know why? Because I have suffered from depression. When my father passed away, I couldn't get out of bed. I couldn't function. I couldn't do anything for days upon times. And even when I did, I was a shadow of myself. My wife, when she had her attack, she wouldn't get out of bed for long periods of time, not able to help her children, her husband, her family. We know exactly what it's like, panic attacks, going to the doctors, they say this, do that, going to the counselor, do this, do that. We tried those things, and those things, they do have an element of stewardship. You need to do some of those things. But the Bible makes it extremely clear that he, God, has not given us a spirit of fear. The Bible is very, 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 very clear. It says, in fact, I have given you some other spirits. I have given you the spirit of power. 
I've given you the spirit of love, and I've given you the spirit of sound mind. Depression is the opposite of all three. When you're in depression, you have no power. You feel helpless. You feel like you can do no thing. The last thing you feel is loved. You feel like no one loves you or can love you. And if they found out what was going on in your mind, they would love you less. And therefore, it all concludes with, of course you're not of sound mind because every doctor is telling you there's something wrong with you. The Bible is saying that is the opposite of how he has set it up. And it is, in fact, another spiritual attack called the spirit of fear that is upon you, and it does not come from God. Thoughts take over. Voices in our mind. We're not enough. We're not good. We don't measure up. It's okay to talk about it. In fact, to protect against this, we have increased involvement. If you are staying alert and gathering regularly and having a daily routine and seeking your leadership and you get this far, you need to seek more involvement with that leadership so they can do the things necessary to help lift you out of this. Philippians 4.8, fix your thoughts on what is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, admirable. Think about these things that are excellent and worthy of praise. That's what we would tell you, but I get it. It isn't easy. If it was that easy, no one would fall into this state. And here Elijah is, who literally then says, let me read it here. I have zealously served the Lord, God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant, torn down their altars, and killed everyone. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. He's falling deeper into it. This is what I have to say to you. I am 100% sure after reading these verses, after praying on it, after really thinking about this service, I'm 100% sure this is not a place. Those four attacks, they're pretty regular. Satan's going to bring those four attacks on you. A lot of times God's going to allow it. Once you break the fourth one into this fifth one, this is not a place he wants you to be. This is not a place he needs you to be. This is not a place he authorizes you to be. This is you failing in your spiritual walk. Now look, I get it. I have too for months at a time and some of us for years at a time. God has not given us the spirit of fear. How do I know? How can I be so sure? You're not being tolerant enough, Simon. You're not being compassionate enough. Look what the Bible says. He says to Elijah, what are you doing here? He walks into the cave. What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah says all this stuff. The Lord does a bunch of things. Then Elijah goes back and says the same thing. And God says, are you kidding me? What are you doing at this place of depression? He does not want you here. The Lord is trying to get your attention. I'm trying to get your attention. This happened right after a series of some of the greatest miracles in the Bible. God will pour into your life. You will see things happen. Then you will go through a series of attacks that will ultimately lead you to this place. And you will think it becomes the new normal. And you will orchestrate your life around how to get through it. And it requires laser focus in order for you to destroy the enemy's plan. Unfortunately, it gets worse, not better. This is not the end. Now, I can stop here, and we can talk about the rest ones later, but next week, actually, I'm out of town, so I'm not going to be preaching next week. I'm telling you right now. I wish I could, but I have something I have to do with Lance, and I promised him I would do it, and I'm going to do it. 
But I have these three more. Do you want me to share them with you? Brian says yes. There's a lot going on in our lives. I get it. I need you to hear it. Because it was me. I went through this entire list, and I'm getting to the end, and I'm looking like, are you kidding me? How can I be so naive? I get pointed to this, and I realize Elijah went through the same thing. I wish depression was the end. I wish that was the place at which we could just focus on as a church and move on, but it's not. It's only a gateway to the next one. Look what happens. He says right here, I have zealously served the Lord, but the people have broken their covenants and torn down their altars. They killed every prophet. I'm the only one left. I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me. Now, you may not understand what's happening here because you don't study Elijah. He was a prophet. This is the one man in the Bible who literally, they said, didn't sin. You know, and that's, that's blasphemy because Jesus Christ He's the only one that didn't sin. So what does this man sin? Theologians are trying to figure it out. They look at this verse and they point to this and others and they say, you know what happened? His depression has led to bondage. Bondage is a spiritual word for sin. In his case, arrogance, self-pity, excuses, the victim mentality, woe is me. Pretty serious because it led him to a place where he wanted to die, a state of depression. But for you and me, it's usually more bold than that. Bondage is being held back. Bondage is being restricted. Bondage is like being in a jail and not being effective. What is bondage in a spiritual walk? It is sin. In fact, you could be walking in this planet, you could be conducting ministry or not, and not living a life of sin, and you could still be a testimony for the Lord God and Jesus Christ. The moment that you begin to dabble and engage in sin, your testimony is completely eroded, the power is gone, and you are in bondage. Most of us have tried to Christians, we won't just fall into sin. We're too smart like that. But it takes six attacks for us to get to a place where we ultimately fall into an old bondage, something that we've been dealing with our whole life, something we couldn't get away from. Old bondage usually pulls us back in, much like it has done Elijah here. What is it for you? Is sin knocking at your door? And maybe, maybe you sit here and say, Pastor Sean, I'm way past this. I've been engaged for so long, I forgot. I consider, I consider my little sin here just a part of my walk. It's just part of who I am. It's a small thing. No one knows it. No one talks about it. God still loves me. I'm just going to keep walking on. A spiritual attack, and you are failing. I am failing. We are failing. We need to talk about it. We don't have an open confessional. We go over here, our Father, you know, for I have sinned, forgive me. We don't do that. Maybe we should. Maybe there'll be less of this happening. But this is serious business, guys. When sin enters into your walk, at this point, you're way past depression. Now, now, Satan has his hands on your soul. You know what happens next? I'll share it with you. How do you protect against sin? If you're at this place and you've got that increased involvement with your leadership, the next thing that needs to happen is an accountability partner, a person who can help hold you accountable to those things that are going on in your life. 
They can help identify triggers. They can help pray with you through them. If you're in sin today, I need to pause for a second. If you're in sin today, no matter how small or how big, I don't care what it is, the first thing you do is not have to tell me. The first thing you do is tell God you are in sin and you admit it. The next thing you do is start a counter. You start it on your phone. Day one, today will be the first day I do not sin. Tomorrow, you pray the same prayer and you count that counter and move it up. This is now day two, I do not sin. And then you get to day three. If you get to day three, please call me up and text me. Say, I'm at day three. I don't care what it is. And now I'll start praying with you. If you need more help, come talk to me and we'll get through it together. Amen? Okay, so now moving on. What happens? I got to read this. God says, go out and stand before me. What happens? Elijah stood there. A mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast. The rocks torn loose. The Lord was not in the wind. The wind afterwards was an earthquake. The Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire. The Lord was not in the fire. Wind, fire, earthquake, and the Lord was not in it. Is that clear? We look at that and say, oh, that's God moving. That's his power. It's God's power there. It says the Lord was not in it. That is the opposite of God's power. What was that? We could say it's mother nature. You could say that's the enemy. It's a confluence of things that I'm going to call this word. And for those of you who've gotten this far in a spiritual battle, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because at this point, you are in a state of chaos. It's like having a giant knot and you can't untangle it. You know that you know you shouldn't be here. And you know that of all the things that have gotten you to this point. But at this point, it just seems worthless. You have an absolute lack of peace. You can't find it anywhere in anything, not reading, not worshiping, not praying, not the TV, not your family, nothing. Even natural things like the wind and earth and things that you used to enjoy, they now cause you pain. Things that used to bring you joy, things you love to do, you can't do anymore. I was there. Everyday things, normal things, simple things, important things. Just don't want to do them anymore. I am in a state of chaos. I don't want any of you this far down the path. If you are this far, we need to pray today. There is no judgment. There is no condemnation outside of what Satan already has on you, but he already has a plan and he's being pretty successful in executing it. We need to stop him. Because the last one, and number eight, seems like the most innocuous of them all. It happens in verse 14. How do you protect against chaos? I certainly do not have enough time for this. But for those of you who care, Psalms 46 says, be still and know that I am God. When you get to this point, there's something different that needs to change in your walk, in your life. There's something, there's not words anymore. There's not preaching anymore. You know, there's something else that needs to happen. And we're going to do it with this song that we're about to play here. But I can't exactly explain it to you. All I can tell you is if you studied, it's clear as day. And if you do and you want to and you're here, go back and look. There is a sound and there is a location. Those two things need to come together to break chaos. That's another sermon. Okay, what happens, in verse, what happens here in verse 14? The last step. The last step in verse 14. He replied again. 
Quote, I have zealously served the Lord Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant, torn down your altars, and killed everyone. I am the last one left, and now they're trying to kill me. An exact replication of what he said earlier when he was dealing with depression. Exactly what he said when he was dealing with his bondage, right before he dealt with his chaos. And after his chaos, instead of hearing and experiencing God, he says this. What is that? Is that him just being stubborn? Maybe. This is the eighth, and ultimately the most dangerous. Now, this eighth one happens to all of us throughout the day, but when it happens in this sequence, when it happens when you're in a state of chaos, you're no longer strong enough to fight it off unless a divine intervention occurs. In Elijah's case, it occurred in a mighty way. Read chapter 20, you'll hear it. But in your case, has it happened? Have you had this divine intervention in such a way you went from, you know, step seven all the way back to praising the Lord again? What's step seven, Pastor Sean? Doubt. Why well, doubt all the time? Yeah, I get it. You doubt all the time. But when we get to a place where we question the call of God on our life, where we question our, the direction that God has given us, it can be a very, very dangerous place for your soul. I don't know where you all are today. I don't know where you are in spiritual battle. I do know this. You are either in a spiritual battle, just got out of a spiritual battle, or about to get into a spiritual battle. That much I know is true. And if you are anywhere down this progression, this is the ultimate stop. I'm telling you now. Don't come up to me and say, I question God. I question his power. I question that. I already know you're going to say that. Because that's ultimately where Satan is heading you. If you're dealing with one of these, no, this is where he's trying to get you. How can you be certain? Well, he did it to Elijah. Something happened with sound and location. Elijah broke that, and he was able to move on. Today, I want to break something. Why is it so important to me? I don't know what's going on in your life, but I do know this. July 2019, a best-selling Christian author, Joshua Harris, Sold, I kissed, dating, goodbye, millions of copies, had a huge, profound impact on the Christian youth community. Decided to give up his theology for the LGBTQ community. And he's effectively renouncing his faith because he's not sure he's right anymore. Every one of these steps, misidentified. And now he's confused, he says. August 2019. Quite possibly the most prolific songwriter of our time. Hill Songs, Marty Sampson. Go on Wikipedia, type his name, see the almost hundred worship songs that you may all know by, that you sang a thousand times. Singer, songwriter, August 2019. I don't believe in this God, this church. I'm questioning my faith, I'm questioning everything. Now he's got much more stronger words about his departure from the faith or what he calls his deconstruction. His theology is sound. He's lost his relationship, completely gone. We cannot overlook what's happening right here in our community, in our world, where we are. These are moves of Satan. And we need a move of God. 
Are you with me, church? Can you hear me, church? We at Kingsway hope you enjoyed this message from Pastor Sean. It was not by chance you listened to it. God is speaking to you. Visit kingswaycc.org to find the podcast from Pastor Sean. We pray today that this somehow inspired you to draw closer to God and to connect with His people, His purpose, and His power. God bless you.